0: it's totally top of mind. i'm writing a book at the moment and i'm writing a lot of these things and i have a chapter which is like fuck the unicorn
1: yeah. because seriously
0: like what do we call success and what do we value and one of my biggest frustrations building a company is that i saw us building a lot of value we built you know a place where people felt at home as users yeah. as team members we built real scientific knowledge we built yeah. education we built like a lot of cool things and it was valued at exactly zero.
2: Yeah, there's no when metric it, for that. Right? No, like, yeah. at the
0: end of the day, they're like, mm-hmm, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. But what's your revenue? That yeah. was the, you know, and or your growth. This is
3: season one of Memberful Design, a show about fire starters, sparking initiatives that have a lasting impact. It was formerly known as Verwondering, an award-winning Dutch design podcast Discover what it takes to let your plan succeed and create meaningful connections. The power of the collective requires the commitment of the individual. In every episode, Harold Dunning, founder of design studio Momkai and co-founder of journalism platform The Correspondent, talks to other designers, creative directors, artists and entrepreneurs about the impact of their work. We want to hear from you too. You can visit memberful.design to share your thoughts and check out the show's gallery. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Memberful Design on your favorite podcast platform. And sign up for our newsletter at memberful.design.
2: Life is a never-ending cycle. Birth, growth, decline, death. The ebb and flow of the natural world. It is through this cyclical nature that we find meaning and purpose. Technology can help us understand the cycles that shape our lives. Femtech, or using tech to understand and improve the unique cycles of women and people who menstruate, can help too many to gain understanding and make informed decisions about their bodies. It's another way of understanding the cycle of nature, allowing us to live in harmony with it. It's not just a tool for self-improvement. It's also a means of promoting gender equality. Femtech helps to bridge the gap in healthcare and tech that has traditionally marginalized half the world's population. Shifting the focus of technology to those who are often overlooked lets us evolve as individuals and improve as a society. Our special guest today was born in Denmark, lives in Berlin, and as the nature of a true firestarter, she's the one who actually coined the term Femtech. Meet Ida Tin, co-founder and chairwoman of Clue, the leading period tracking app. It's been used by millions of women and people with cycles all around the world for over a decade now. After circling the globe on motorcycles with her dad and their travel company, Ida set out on a different journey and crossed the borders of the booth. Driven by frustration, she set out to design a science-based tool for people to take charge of their reproductive health. In the process, she created a company built on trust, with no need to sell data as their business model is based on memberships, not ads. Members make the product possible. Each month, a community of 11 million strong in more than 190 countries access the app. Four and a half million readers trust it as a menstrual health resource, thanks to its scientific stories. And, as a thought leader, it advocates reproductive rights as human rights. The right to freely decide whether to have children or not, how often and when. Learn how to build with values as a foundation and earn the trust of your community. Ida, thank you for meeting me at our Factory Berlin office.
0: It's an honor to be here.
2: How do you stick to your principles when your competition doesn't? (laughs)
0: I'm <laughs> starting with an easy question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: well,
0: well. first of all, I think it's so important to know that building a company and building an app is a huge team effort. So you start by building a team that will agree with you mm-hmm. with what the important values are that you're going to stick to also when it gets rough. So co-founders, obviously, yeah. and your team, your management team, the broader team, but also your investors, like who you choose to take on board Early, Typically on that journey will matter later on because it's clear that if you don't have kind of any hesitations Mm -hmm. (laughs) or limitations in your Mm -hmm. own system, you can do things to acquire new users, for instance, very aggressively. But we chose not to because we think that there are some fundamentals around privacy that felt most important because of who we are as humans. But I will also say I do believe and always believed it must be the winning strategy. Because in the end, you know, you live and die by users wanting to use your product. And when we started out in 2013, data privacy was not really a thing yet. GDPR didn't exist. But I still had this very deep kind of intuition that If you ask people for some of their most personal health data, they are going to care what you do with it. (laughs) It seems like a no-brainer. But, you know, that doesn't seem to be a no-brainer in the industry, actually, (laughs) which is a bit scary.
2: Can you sketch the landscape? 2013, what was out there? Like, were there methods to track your health and your, your menstrual cycles?
0: Yeah. So maybe I'll just back up a second, because actually the first idea was to build a home diagnostics. I wanted to measure hormones in saliva. And with this little smart machine, like in a few seconds you would know like exactly where you are in your cycle. And then I thought, well, that's really smart. Then you know which days to use a condom if you don't want to get pregnant. So I actually wanted to build a type of birth control. And then we started out. And then my partner at the time and co founder, Hans Rafauf, he was like, Well technology is hard. We should start building a peer tracking app to start building a user base and kind of get to know the space and that was an incredibly important decision obviously because we then did
2: so you you started with the digital part first so not the hardware we
0: actually we were like a two-headed monster for the first five years it was really hard so then we looked into the space like what was there there were pretty much two period tracking apps as far as i remember or like really really few No, so Glow didn't, they launched just as we launched. Oh, we launched same time. like a month before yeah. them, but, when we, but it took a little while to build the apps. So when mm-hmm. we started looking, there was pretty much one app which was called Period Tracker, oh. built by a Chinese company. Okay. They're still there. And, you know, it was like calendars that could count to 28, pink. Yeah. And they're made by companies that made like a bunch of different apps. They were, I would say, very first generation products.
2: And they were all free
0: they were all I'm going to make quotation marks (laughs) free free. (laughs) yes your Um, data was
2: the product can you break down for us like what were at the start like the values where you based the company on Mm. did you put it in writing how did that go
0: yeah we did put it in writing pretty fast but there were some design principles that were important Mm -hmm. it's like we want to have this cycle view Mm -hmm. so that people can get a sense of where they are in a cycle which now seems so obvious but they were all calendars. So and they were like little
2: learn. little squares next yeah, to each other with, exactly. you know, with numbers.
0: We wanted there to be educational content in the app because we very fast understood that it's not enough to kind of collect data and then mirror mm-hmm. it back. You have to provide context for the data. You have to help people understand what does these number really mean? So if my cycle is 20 four days. Should I be worried? Like, what does that mean? So the educational content was really important. And we wanted to make sure that that content we put in was really scientifically valid. That mm-hmm. was another thing we realized that there's a lot of misinformation out there. People have myths that they believe in, and yeah. they heard their mother say something. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and because there is this whole sort of stigma and taboo in this space, a lot of information kind of travels a little bit sort of underground. Yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to bring that out front and be like, you know, this is how the biology actually works.
1: Yeah.
0: And then another important decision we made earlier was that we wanted all the data to stay on people's phones. We were a young company. We are mm-hmm. like, we're not ready to host this data. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a good reason either. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to collect any data. We didn't have a really good reason to hold. So we made the app so that people could also use it if they were offline. That mm-hmm. also felt important in sort of a global context. So we tried to be hyper-inclusive sort of from the technical side and also the way we spoke to people. We wanted to make sure that people could feel included. Mm-hmm. So you were really good at saying people with cycles. That took me a long time <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to do that one, yeah. um, which it was important.
2: To not only say women or, yeah, to yeah. really broaden it.
0: Yeah. So these were some of the thoughts that we had from the beginning. And I must also really give credit to one of our other co-founders, Mike Levine. He is sort of a, he's a user research person, but also a really good designer. But primarily he was a user research ninja. Mm-hmm. He was incredibly good at going out and really being sensitive to what people, kind of what their emotional landscape around the product was. So a lot of things I think we got right. We got right from the get-go and, and he was a big part of that.
2: So how difficult was that to have these sets of principles to then go and raise? Oh yeah, uh, that was your question. Yeah, (laughs) what you do? Because you have to defend this to like investors who always say like, how do you then design for growth?
0: Well, we did well in the beginning Mm -hmm. with growth. We did really well. We were very early to work with influencers in a way that felt like there was a lot of integrity. And then we had a competitor who came in who was very aggressive on the growth tactics, and they did get bigger than us. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at each other and was like, what do we do now? But it wasn't really, it was never a question of, like, should we do the same? One, it was illegal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and two, it felt totally off.
2: What was illegal, what they did?
0: So you were not allowed to share data back that actually it's not like you have to tell users what you expect that you will do with your data, mm-hmm. and what they had in their privacy statement didn't quite match with what happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you can do whatever you want if users agree to it, and m- we both know that most people don't use the privacy sort of statements and the terms of use. So
2: no, they are impossible to read in small <laughs> small print yeah. and small characters, and right. uh, they're designed to be not understood yeah. often. Right. The privacy policy of Clue I could actually understand. I was uh, pleasantly surprised.
0: That's so nice to hear. We really wanted, you know for us it was a competitive advantage that we Mm -hmm. actually cared about people's privacy Mm -hmm. and so when we saw that that wasn't a given in the market. We, of course, also wanted people to understand that there was a difference yeah. between product A and B. It was a huge educational task. Yeah. It's very difficult to explain to people about privacy and where yeah. data goes. It is kind of boring, and it's like you know you. And I think for many users, you don't know that you have a choice.
2: Yeah, and again, yeah, reminding the listeners, this is 2013. We talked a bit about, uh, we started a journalism company in the in the same year, also really clearly based on principles, the correspondent. And one of the principles was that we uh, have a data low policy, meaning that we only collect the data that we by law have to. So we have to ask name and uh, postal code for the payments. And that's almost about it. And in the beginning... Yeah, we always thought it was a unique selling point, but it was like it really took some time. I and mean, mm. of course, we had correspondents writing about privacy and the importance of that. And it was only, I think, after the Cambridge Analytica mm. scandal with Facebook that almost, yeah, that the wider audience saw like this is the the danger of your your data going yeah. into wrong hands.
0: I love that you were thinking that way. For me, it's just... It's so important to say that we shouldn't shy away from using data. Data mm-hmm. is an amazing, amazing new tool that we have that can give us you know, understanding of things that we can't connect in our brains with just a limited personal data set. Yeah. So it's a huge gift, and it's a huge gift for science. So we, we then at some point also thought, okay, now we can actually build a back end, and we mm-hmm. can make sure that we can take good care of this data. And we did that, and it has enabled us to build things that, benefit users and it has helped us move science forward together with our science collaborators so let's not forget that when we talk about data you know no of
2: course yeah you you could also progress uh, scientific research with all the data that i think the yeah the millions of cycles that you collected over the many years that is a sort of treasure trove to a scientist that wasn't there just five or ten years before
0: that's true yeah and the ones who do not care so much about privacy, they will collect the data.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> yeah.
0: if you if you shy away, you kind of lose twice. Yeah. You lose on the benefits and you also lose by it being abused potentially by other people. So...
2: Talking about your investors, uh, one of your investors, Bo uh, Ilsu, a a partner in the NGP uh, Capital in uh, Palo Alto, uh, California, he noted that Clue is uh, is like an unusual company to him in their portfolio because from the outset you instilled a very uh, mission-driven culture and then very, what he calls, an intentional leadership style. So something that he shared is typically added later in a company. How would you describe this style?
0: I would describe our leadership style as very collaborative, and kind of consensus-driven. I don't think I've ever been like, no, no, it's going to be like this because I say so.
2: (laughs) And is it then uh, sometimes uh, this is, uh, uh, yeah, you have many uh, American investors. I can imagine that at first they think it's mostly slow.
0: Yes, yes. And sometimes it is. And sometimes it was also slower than it could have been Mm -hmm. had I been a better leader. I mean, you learn over the (laughs) years and for sure I made many mistakes. But the benefit of doing it that way is that first you collect a lot of data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, you try to get many perspectives mm-hmm. on an issue, and these things are often really complex, mm-hmm. and there are trade offs, and yeah. So you try to get many angles to it, and then when you take the time to kind of discuss your way through it with whatever the management team or even the broader team, in some cases you end up with a really high level of shared understanding. Mm -hmm. And so when the implementation comes, it's fast because everybody kind of is like, they get it.
2: Yeah, and it's it's exactly, it's like a broader group of your team understands the reason why and why this matters. I think that's always easier also when you have your values and your principles aligned, then certain implementations are easier to understand why you should that and not just... Because I say so.
0: Yeah, totally. And also when things go wrong, because mm-hmm. things do go wrong, you're like, oh, but, you know, we didn't pull that off. Or that was, you know, something happens in the world and your plan didn't work out. It's much easier to pull people together and be like, okay, so now we have this new data. And this is how I think about it now.
2: <laughs> do you have something that springs to mind where you really were like, oh, we got it wrong. We have to, we have to make a change.
0: There's always this trade-off of, you know what can create real value Uh long-term, and then you are pressed for money and you have to create something short-term. Or, you know, you have to just ship that one feature so that, you know, (laughs) oh, there can be so many reasons for it. You know, it's the most asked for feature. I wish that was most of the time, but sometimes it's like, we, we started this, we need to finish this before the next financing round, or this is the one feature that can... Make us actually earn some money,
2: which we also need to do. It's a feature that can be an example to your investors. Like yeah, Ida. so there
0: can be all kind of like, yeah. we just did a huge, we rebuilt the whole app from mm-hmm. scratch up. We call it rebirth. Something <laughs> that is, typically <laughs> goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a bad idea, but we had so much legacy code and we mm-hmm. like the, it just, got so heavy and slow to build on top yeah so, so to
2: explain legacy code is like you build something you develop it and then over time there's modern languages or different ways of going about that but you already built something so, right, you're so kind it becomes
0: of this like weird m-
2: sort of monster, <laughs> monster. And you, or like a little snake and you have to get like a certain it's skin on. Of duct
0: tape and yeah. you know rubber bands and yeah. band-aids yeah and so, that's called
2: legacy yeah. and that's often <laughs> in any kind of technologically based company that is something it's not a, good word. It's a <laughs> it's a uh, it's uh, well it's a cycle i think in mm. itself um it
0: happens it's fair but it's always that painful point where you're like okay when do we then start over yeah and the team made that decision probably a year ago and now it's relaunched and most users have you know been transferred over and it went well but that was one of the things where like it would have been cooler to build that next feature that we really would have loved yeah. to give users fast yeah but guys we have now we have to do this boring thing
2: so exactly it's it's never a popular thing to do also no. internally not partly it is i can imagine uh, that uh, okay we can start afresh but you have to do so many things anew and the user doesn't really often no it's, it. we,
0: we call it who moved my
2: cheese <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what, i get what, it like yeah.
0: I, I i felt that in my heart a little bit too i'll be honest i mean yeah. I, I think it, it looks good, and it's good, and I get all the things. But you get attached to, like, oh, that, you know, that yeah. cool interaction model we had there. Like, where did it go? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, you have to sacrifice a little bit there. Yeah. One of my team members was also a uh, test member of the new design, so it was really cool that that you really involved the community mm-hmm. with that uh, as well. How do you go about that? Like, I think, yeah, feedback, or you mentioned one of the designers going out there for user research, but are there other ways where you really gain that insight Mm. because you have people in 190 countries they even medical advice is so vastly different in all those countries how do you go about that
0: so we of course have a support channel where we tag what people ask for and what Mm -hmm. comes in we go out we meet users we have create many events kind of science educational events and even real life
2: events or online
0: Before we did that, we did like a science tour a little bit in the U.S. And we've done many different things to actually physically meet users. We also did an ambassador group, we called it, on Facebook. And overnight, we had like 10,000 people who wanted to be Clue ambassador. We were blown away. It was super cool. But what also has happened is that we got to be a regulated medical device company. We really grew up. (laughs) The
2: FDA uh, Yeah, Because we
0: got this FDA clearance to be a, a contraceptive. And in that process, we had to user test like insane people.
2: So the FDA is the um, American Federal...
0: Food and Drug Administration.
2: So it means that if they say this is, yeah, it's approved and then you're... um, It's safe. It means that it's safe for users. So we
0: had to prove that it was safe. And the way that we did that or had to do that was that we had to do a lot of user testing. Mm -hmm. And we had to make sure that it was like representative of the user base. So we had... Actually, somebody helped us find like this exact set of users that needed yeah. to test this, and they all had to pass. And sometimes I tell you, you're like, how could this one person not get this screen and press at the right bottom? It was very painful, but it really made us.
2: But you had better. to have 100 percent pass, like how pretty the, much, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, how was, many people? Like, how does this work? How, how does oh, it no, look? I
0: forget the details, but it, I think it was I you know, maybe a thousand away, so people, or we had. People on the team who know how to get through regulation. Yeah. I mean kind of. It was a pretty steep learning curve. Actually, I will just say my the team was absolutely incredible. That's probably the wildest pull-off I've ever seen. We got clearance in two years. Usually this takes much longer with huge teams who are professional only do this. Mm-hmm. I mean it were people really, really Worked their asses off and they learned so many things. And this was probably the most boring work we've ever done for many people. This was like, oh my God, like we had this quality management system, everything has to be filed in order. Like we really grew up painful. And that was the moment where the team just they just pulled through where you're like, there was so much goodwill <laughs> <laughs> where I was just like. Thank you, guys.
2: You said like they learn so many things. What, what, what? what so,
0: how do you build a quality management system that will make you pass? How do you document everything? Like, even which software do you use to build the systems? Mm-hmm. And, like, there were so many things. Yeah, how do you do user testing in like the grown-up way?
2: Because this is the U.S. is your biggest single market, I think, Mm. for the app, right? Like you're you're all around the world. But how did you came to that uh, strategic decision to see like, okay, we have to get this uh, approval?
0: You know, I think it was 2000 and I don't even remember. Yeah, some years back. (laughs) (laughs) We take that. Uh, we were at the strategy outside with the board in Helsinki yeah. and we were like, what are the biggest use cases in f- female health? And there's like menopause is really huge. But I was like, contraception, that's the biggest, like mm. there is nobody, mm. a, no, no, you know, there's no one bigger. And this was also my dream to start with. I wanted to build a new type of contraceptive.
2: This was your initial idea. That right? was my yeah. initial
0: idea. And that was my moment. I was like, how we do this let's go and it was so wild and there was actually there were people in the room who knew what it meant to be certified by fda or to get cleared and i'm I'm, i often i actually went back i was like why did you not tell (laughs) us like it almost killed us it all had we tried to do this a year before we couldn't pull it off and a year later we couldn't pull it off why not what's there because we would have not had the organizational maturity earlier Mm -hmm. and later we would have run out of money. Ah. it was. Just how many th- people
2: did you need like or did the whole team like how, how d-
0: everybody was involved in some capacity but we i mean maybe we were like 40 50 people when we started maybe mm-hmm. 60 when we ended i mean it was a yeah. small team
2: compared to maybe uh, competitors in silicon valley
0: i mean you would easily have 100 people on a team just to do the regulatory part mm-hmm. for a product easily mm-hmm. so it was like The skinniest lean teen you've ever seen pull something through FDA clearance. I really think so. It was insane.
2: And did you see after the approval, I can imagine that was like... Oh hallelujah! Moment for the whole team. What did you see in your numbers there? Like after you know,
0: this is what is so wild because it's a little bit like raising money. Like when do you pop the champagne? Yeah. Like when they verbally say, like, "Yeah, we yeah. like this." When you have your term sheets. Yeah, yeah When When you've signed the papers, the first draft, the red yeah, line, yeah. Or when they actually transfer the money. I mean, it's it's a month long process, and it was similar with the clearance yeah. because then you like you get the clearance, but then you have to actually ship the product. And then you and we had to do this super slow, gradual rollout because you have to check that all the quality management systems actually work. You have to do the post-market surveillance, like so many things. You were
2: actually praised for being having a slow rollout. Like I thought, it didn't yeah. even start with like there were only like a, a selection of uh, yeah, super people that could slow. Pitches. Honestly,
0: yeah. we're still on the slow rollout. <laughs> we might even have reversed a little. bit. But that bit. was
2: not intentional because it was online. It was
0: intentional. It was intentional. We, we knew that with this product, like, you have to go slow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And now we've learned some things. And we know there is a market for it. We know it's meaningful. Yeah. We also know that some of the screens are just, we just lose, like, 70% because they still don't press the right button. And then they get logged out. And you cannot, because it's regulated, you cannot just let them back in. So, mm. it's less. Oh. so now, actually, because we rebuild the whole thing, we're like, we're going to take this out for a little while reconfigure and then put it back in. Yeah. So it's very slow, painfully slow. <laughs> <laughs> but we're building other things that are cool in, the, in the, you know while we do this.
2: <laughs> what is the cool thing then that came out of it?
0: So the other cool things we've built mm. have been helping people through pregnancy mm-hmm. and after pregnancy and helping people get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So those are new things we've built. But some of the cool things that came out of this organizationally was to always remember that regulation is something you do because you care about your users, you care Mm -hmm. about their safety, Mm -hmm. and you have to build really high quality when you're regulated. And that's good. It's a good mindset. It's a good feeling to have in a company where you're just like, no, no, this is solid. This is, it's well built.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you have a strong foundation. It's almost hygiene also, I can imagine. Like, you you just want to get there and then then it's like clean and clear. I can also imagine you come into a different kind of world where yeah it's like the the approval does it have like continuous cycle where you have to be reassessed again
0: no but that's what's so this whole regulation field is kind of new so Mm -hmm. we were the first product for digital digital. right so we were to my knowledge the first product that got certified where we had to prove that we could gate the product it's a bit like a drug that you need a prescription for Mm -hmm. we had to show no no it's only the right users that end up using this product Mm -hmm. they couldn't be too young they couldn't be too old they couldn't have cycles that were too regular all kind of things
2: because young means i think in europe you can go until like 13 and it
0: was because the clinical study that was made that proved the efficacy of this algorithm was only made by people 18 and over so if you're 17 i cannot guarantee that it's going to work for you yeah so i had to make sure that if you're 17 you don't end up using my product yeah so for the regulatory body this was a new thing it was a new challenge for them so they really have to learn
1: yeah
0: <laughs> and i think on a sort of macro scale regulators they really have to learn fast yeah. i mean our world is being built so fast
2: because in terms I, of technology I, yeah, because I can imagine, like especially with your products, with people who menstruate, uh, with social media platforms, and they have all kinds of rules below 18, below 13, yeah. But in your case, you don't know who, when someone will first menstruate mm. and your whole ambition to also do the scientific part is yeah. very oh. educational for younger people. But can you tell us a little bit, because that really differs per market. It's different yeah. here in Europe versus the U.S. Uh, you have parental guidance. How, how does it work for So
0: a- we are regulated under German and European law. Mm-hmm. So when GDPR came into being, that meant that people under 16 had to get parent consent before it was 13. And for us, that was painful because for a lot of young women or girls, it's not so comfortable to go up to your parents and be like, hey, can you like, let me use this period tracking app? Yeah. Like it's, for a lot of people, that's just for cultural reasons, not so yeah. easy. So you have to be 16 to use the app without parent consent. And then for the specific contraception product, as I told that was 18. And of course, some people might cheat They'll mm-hmm. just say that they're older than they are, which messes up our data,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> which is not great. And one of the science projects that I really remember that made an impression was with an amazing scientist at Stanford University. And she was specializing in adolescence
4: mm-hmm.
0: periods and cycles. And she said a lot of young people like they bleed too much or they like mm-hmm. they have stuff going on. They mm-hmm. we really need science for the really, really young ones. Yeah. And this regulation had made that harder. But again, regulation is good. Yeah, It's good that we have it. Technology absolutely needs to be regulated.
2: But why does an app like this that is about your personal health, why does it need then the parental guidance for like under 16? What is is there? Or is that like still infancy in the law of of, of digital? Yes,
0: I think if you are an app builder and you ask for really personal data, it's a good thing that not everybody can do that. Yeah. And that if you ask for personal health data, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing that your parents know. Yeah, yeah. But it's a gray area. It's, I mean, I've, <laughs> I would have loved the exception for pure tracking apps to yeah. be thirteen. You know? yeah. <laughs> but say it's an app that deals with weight loss. Yeah. I mean, if you have people who have eating disorders, do you want them to like go full on when they're thirteen? Like, yeah. I, I can see how.
2: You can see that it's gray. I can um,
0: see that it's a gray area and I'd rather have regulation that's a little bit on the tougher side than on the leaner side in health.
2: No, of course. Yeah, that is very true. But I, I, I talked to uh, team members, uh, some of them using uh, Clue for I think nine years or so, like a really long time. And and also what I read o- online and, and, and talked to other women was really discovered so often that they said like, I learned different things and I learned in school or with much more depth or i understand my body better now where you almost yeah you almost want to give it to younger people to better understand what they're experiencing because people could be as young as 11 or Yeah. yeah
0: yeah and girls do menstruate early and earlier yeah kind of a little bit not known why but they seem seem to do that Yeah, yeah i do absolutely agree with you And I've met many people who said that they would love to use Clue in education. And I've met, I remember meeting a woman from Morocco who said that they were using Clue in some sort of educational context. So From what? Morocco.
2: Oh, Morocco. Sorry.
0: So it is happening. And yeah, especially in a place like America where sex ed is lacking.
2: Yeah.
0: To say it diplomatically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We know that the information that people get from apps and Clue and websites is really important.
2: Yeah, because recently, of course, only a half year ago, Roevers' weight was overthrown in the U.S., leading up to that people were deleting their peer tracking apps, including a Clue, because they were really worrying about their safety. So, what did you experience from that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a devastating moment in history. What we saw was interesting because we saw a lot of media conversation about this fear that the government could use data tracked in period apps to prosecute users because they would maybe see they had been pregnant and then stopped being pregnant. That was a fear. And what we saw was that we had a huge spike, a lot of people downloaded Clue. And I think there were two reasons for that. One was that they understood that data privacy was actually really important. And so having a company that was one based in Germany where we hold all our data in Europe. So there is no way that the American government could actually prosecute us and or, like, ask for our data and we also had leaders who went out and say we will never do that you can put me in prison I will not do that they literally said that and one of the CEOs she's a lawyer she was like she knew what she was saying she's like there's no way this is going to happen
2: because uh, for people's understanding that means that your servers where your data is actually on the physical things are not based in the U.S. that's right so someone cannot charge in and take that data out and you are based here in Berlin in Europe with the toughest GDPR laws for that
0: Maybe I'll just say one thing to so that because the whole ethos of the GDPR is to protect users mm-hmm. so that their data doesn't go somewhere they don't want their data to go.
3: Yeah.
0: It would be against the whole intention of this law to use this data yeah. <laughs> so that a government could use it against the users. Yeah. Like that, it, that would not happen. But then also, people downloaded Clue because I think they're really afraid of getting pregnant. <laughs> You yeah. know it's an extremely serious situation to be unwanted pregnant and not having access to abortion,
2: yeah because uh, it's life so, devastating for those uh, maybe listening that a little refreshing of a row of first way there was a nineteen seventy three landmark decision by the u s Supreme Court that ruled that a state law that banned abortion was unconstitutional, and now fifty years later that was overturned making abortion a risk of being severely limited or prohibited in 26 states, meaning abortion would be a crime. And uh, to be pregnant and not wanting to be pregnant, all of a sudden you're between a, a rock and a hard place. You can't go anywhere. And then the worry was like, if you are already tracking your periods, they can request that data because they can then see, you could maybe still go to another state and and have an abortion there, but they could still see that perhaps in your Mm. data. That is the the big worry.
0: Yeah, that was the worry. I also do think that the media went into a little bit of like a frenzy. Yes, (laughs) the media,
2: it's like a lot of media deals in fear.
0: But for users, it was a really practical thing. They needed to know fast if they were pregnant. So tracking... Enable them to have more of an insight to what was going on. Because yeah. in some states still you can get abortions, but you just have a super short time frame. So you, you cannot wait three months and then realize that you are pregnant. You have to know fast. You
2: have to know for a certain date, uh, like uh, how many weeks you are into the pregnancy, and then you have to make the decision. Yeah. Sometimes you have really long waits. Like they have like all these kind of things are designed to make it yeah. more difficult yeah. or almost impossible to then it ruled like, yeah, you can do that, but your window is so short.
0: I don't know if you remember, but before this thing actually happened with the overturn, there was some very strict laws that came to be in Texas mm-hmm. and um, abortion laws. And it was really encouraging for me to see how women use technology to, so they had this very odd kind of website where you could kind of, tell if somebody had had an abortion. <laughs> it was like the whole thing was absurd. But nevertheless, they had this sort of Stasi-like <laughs> reporting.
2: From like pro-lifers, so yeah, people that are... No, are...
0: but it was installed by the legal authorities. Wow, yeah, it was from a it local, was really like, Texas government. Yeah, it was crazy. But then people would like set up bots and just like spam them with like fake reports okay. <laughs> to just totally clog up their systems. So that was pretty cool to see. And then also uh, mailed pills for mm-hmm. abortion so home abortion became a huge thing and that's still growing because women will have abortion they have had abortions always it's mm-hmm. just a question whether you make them criminal and yeah. and put their health at serious risk so people find their ways but of course it's always the one that are less resource that will struggle the most so it's yeah
2: yeah the younger demographic the one that doesn't have the option you can't maybe can't travel to a different state or
0: i don't know don't know what your options are
2: don't know the options. It's really sad that with our journalism company, we saw what's called the Trump bump. So when Trump came, you also gained a lot of members because all of a sudden people saw the value of investigative reporting and journalism. Mm-hmm. So it's really feels kind of almost kind of like wrong. And you saw that also with New York Times, and Guardian, all the media that. They really grew out of all of a sudden people see the importance of it. I have one team member that literally became a member at Clue once that option was available, not out of using certain features, but out of support. Like, no, okay, this is amazing. the that is the importance. She, uh, Julie Donnes, was actually the one that really pointed me out, like mm. you have to get Ida on the show. Yeah. <laughs> but oh. um so so thank her heart. for that. But um <laughs> Yeah, also what we talked about in the beginning. And at first you have to almost like prove that these kind of principles are important. But in the end, they actually are the whole reason that people sign up.
0: Yeah, we we had an employee at one point and he said, how you make money defines you. That's who you are. And it really stuck with me. It's so simple, but in a way it's true. Oh. Like you, you really are defined a lot by how you make your money as a company. Maybe also as a human, I don't know, but at least as a company <laughs> and that's when we were like we we just really want users to pay and we yeah. need to tell people that there is nothing as a free lunch. No, it's no, very no. expensive to build apps. <laughs> and it was
2: for a long time in digital that it's like everything was like free and it took a really long time for people to get like yeah. then you are the product. But mm-hmm. you introduced memberships relatively late into the existence of the brand. Mm-hmm. Like in hindsight, would you have done this earlier?
0: I think so. It's a little bit like in media. Somehow peer tracking apps just became like a free thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We wanted it to be really inclusive. And we still do, I mean, the free part of the app is still a really full product, like mm-hmm. you almost have to be like your friend where you're like, "No, no, I want to pay." I mean not but it's the, getting bits.
2: The other part is clue plus, and it's yes, like,
0: and there are many things behind yeah. the paywall now that I think are meaningful, yeah. like trying to get pregnant, for instance yeah. but yes, I think I would have done it a little differently because I can see that making money gives you freedom as a company to mm-hmm. do things in your own way which can then be ethical because the standard way that you get pressured towards is not so attractive.
2: You mean pressured as an entrepreneur? Or?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because it, before that, you it was all investor money.
0: Yeah, there's still a lot of investor money. If you make your own money, you have more freedom. If you yeah. keep having to raise money and get more investors in. Because <laughs> you raise
2: <laughs> tens of millions of dollars, right?
0: Yes, and we're still raising money. I mean, there is a balance where for users, if you're really kind of, strict on how you want to make money and you like we spend money i mean doing the science work was really expensive and we spent the money on it like we had whole teams that you know it cost a lot of money to do that
2: to make the data partnerships uh, with uh, the scientists
0: uh, to write the content to fact check everything to have it translated and make sure that the translations are also fact checked by medical Mm -hmm. like you know it was but so users benefit from that but if we end up Having to raise money forever, then that limits our freedom to how much we can spend on cool things. So there yeah. is a balance of you need to also be a sustainable company because that gives you the freedom to do the right thing for users. Yeah. So if I could rewind time, I think it would have put a little more effort into making money because I think that would have benefited users more in the long run.
2: But <laughs> well, maybe what there was also <laughs> a right sort way. of sign of the times, like growth over everything.
0: Yeah, totally. And there was also some moments of sort of land grab in that space mm-hmm. that was also important so it's so easy to look back and
2: no you to gotta, say it should be earlier but but it would have bought you more independence
0: i think so you know when i first had the idea for clue i was thinking a lot about whether i should do an ngo mm-hmm. and i was like no there needs to be a business model that's the engine that will mm. give impact in the end and i still deeply believe in that and i it's not bad to make money. we just need to make money in the right way
2: <laughs> this is, this is often I noticed that with advising other companies, with the journalism company as well, it's often having your value straight, your principles straight is uh, often really you know you're looked upon almost like an NGO, like a foundation or anything, and where I always think like but if it's commercial. So we write principles where we say we're for profit, but not profit maximization, meaning we don't do everything just to raise your value for a shareholder. We raise value Mm -hmm. and a profit is healthy because any uh, kind of like extra money, your profit can go back into your product. We actually write manifestos to put that in writing and say Mm -hmm. only 5% goes to shareholders. Everything else goes in back into in journalism or any kind of other project. So where often it's still received like your charity.
1: Mm. Somehow,
2: where I've also worked a lot with NGOs or charity, you can sometimes have so many people in a room and you think like, we're just burning money here. Like, what is this actually going to building something? So a commercial is not a bad thing, but I think everyone sees a sort of Wall Street, Gordon Gecko uh, type in their vision, in their mind that just only takes and only... I think it's a lot about, and what we do also with this podcast, Memorful Design, it's a lot about thinking about... Uh, you, your place within a group and there are multiple yeah. groups. You, you touched upon that in the beginning. You have your team and you're, t- yeah, you're a member of the team. You have your shareholders, you have your users and it should be aligned. Yeah. And a lot of companies, or for a long time, it was all aligned, I'm here to raise shareholder value.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I, I do want to believe that there is like a greater shift happening in our world where sustainability is like we really understand what sustainability yeah. means it's not like buying the green eco yeah, yeah, the cleaner yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. no no it's like we need to make this work for everybody yeah and tech in particular has a really long way to go because there is this insane monopolization of power and wealth
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is very problematic but i do feel that there is this undercurrent where lots of companies start thinking no no we cannot just exploit like we have to actually be like a net good (laughs) yeah and it's wonderful i'm very hopeful that we will see a lot of entrepreneurs who have this deep conviction that it's not about just maxing out the system and then leave like a burning pile after two years and then you buy your helicopter it's like that's not a good outcome.
2: And because that is uh, what you describe there is what you see often with companies. Everything is just designed for the exit. Mm. So it's all massive growth. And then you go out as an investor in five years or so. Mm. The founders go out. Everyone, indeed, <laughs> buys <laughs> helicopters or whatever, <laughs> which is sometimes also, it couldn't annoy me more, like this, this praise of the billionaire. And mm. uh, like uh, almost, uh, they're, they're almost glorified in a oh, way. Don't get me started it's it's such a weird <laughs> dynamic because they're, yeah. they're glorified and when they do something for charity then they're super praised mm. when there's only one charity that they should be doing is just pay taxes mm-hmm. and then the taxes <laughs> is something that we as a society can decide then where we put yeah. it on like, not like one dude somewhere but I can imagine like you yeah you've, you've been in the investment companies in New York and Silicon Valley like it. it have you seen a, a shift over time like or you Am know, I just it's, too hopeful?
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's totally top of mind. I'm writing a book at the moment and I'm writing a lot of these things. And I have a chapter which is like, fuck the unicorn.
1: yeah, Because seriously,
0: <laughs> like we, it's what do we call success and what do we value? And one of my biggest frustrations building a company is that I saw us building a lot of value. We really, we built, you know, a place where people felt at home as users, yeah. as team members. We built real silence knowledge, we build yeah. education, we build like a lot of cool things, and it was valued at exactly zero.
2: Yeah, there's no when metric it, for that. Right? No, like, yeah. at the
0: end of the day, they're like, "Hmm, that's yeah, nice, yeah. but what's your revenue?" That yeah. was the, you know, and or your growth yeah. earlier on. And it just makes me want to have a much broader conversation about what success is on all levels. Yeah. Whether it's like, is it the top of a life success to buy a helicopter? Or is it maybe <laughs> cooler not to burn out and actually yeah. feel your body? Like, yeah. so. Yeah, or to be
2: a, a mother or a dad for your children and be there and, and, and just right. uh, and know what happens in their lives. or yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. I think we need to broaden out this idea of what success is. And then it needs to be reflected in what we then actually give value to. But it's a system. It's a huge system. And it's not like there. I haven't met like mean people. I've actually met incredibly supportive people that I'm very grateful for. Thank you, investors, where we have one clue. I'm very grateful. And they're part of a system where they get rewarded for optimizing and maybe exploiting if they can.
2: Yeah, it's 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 often said like the one thing that you're gonna track, you're gonna design for that. Like you're gonna gear towards that. If mm-hmm. you if you wanna have as many visitors uh, on a website, or you wanna mm-hmm. have as many usage, a lot of things will gear towards mm-hmm. that, and you have to be quite um, yes strong in your foundation to not yeah. move with that or. What they call and like in in design dark patterns, design things to make sure that it's just everything is for growth or yeah. keeps people in.
0: You know, I think it starts somewhere really fundamental, which is kind of human skills. Do we know what relational intelligence is? Do we know what embodiment is? Do we know how we manage our fears? Do we know how we use our anger productively. There are so many deep things that we need to understand as leaders in particularly, a particularly in tech where whatever you are as a leader, you're kind of magnified like crazy all over the planet. Yeah. You know? The more the better you do as an entrepreneur, the more your inner demons will become the demons of the whole world. So we need to have conversations about what is leadership really and how do we actually train for it there's a bunch of things I'd like to have on MBA courses mm-hmm. that are not currently on the curriculum <laughs> that I really, really deeply, seriously think that the world needs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the world needs that these things are on the curriculum.
2: You did a really inspiring school in Denmark called uh, Chaos Pilot. Mm-hmm. What should they put on the curriculum now that you miss in a, in a business school?
0: Mm-hmm. So they have a lot about your inner leadership and they have a lot about values. some of the things we've talked mm-hmm. about i think if you can have alignment of what your heart is like knowing to be right mm-hmm. and, and what you do in the world and what your brand looks like you're off to a good start mm-hmm. and i think integrity it's like how do we how do we measure integrity mm-hmm. how do we put integrity on a CV? How do we hire for integrity? Like these could be interesting questions. But also things like relational intelligence. Like how do I actually truly work well together with you? How do I make sure that though you are potentially a different color, a different Mm -hmm. gender, a different age, I actually value what you have to say. I take it seriously. (laughs) We might need some training. You know, it's not easy.
2: Yeah, you call fundraising also a social process.
0: Yes, it's a social game
2: more than anything. But to read the room or to see who's in power?
0: So one, just as an example, so a couple of years back with the Me Too movement, a lot of funds. They're like, oh, we don't have any women partners here. We probably should have some yeah. female partners. They got a couple. And so here I come, Ida, I'm female. I'm raising money for a female product. Who do you think I'm gonna talk to? Yes, I'll talk to her. <laughs> you know what happens? She has exactly zero pull in the organization. Whatever she says, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> wow. Okay, this is yeah. an exaggeration. But it left me better, you know, worse off.
2: But it was, like, very much, I can imagine when you started, like, and Facebook was still being praised. It's very much bro culture, right? Like, founders yes, were... Yes, you lo- are, lo-
0: like, yeah. a disturbance to the system just yeah. the second you walk in through the door. And, again, it's not because people are bad people or mm-hmm. I have never been harassed or, like, people have been, you know, friendly, all good, and they don't write the check
2: mm-hmm.
0: or it's really hard to make them write the they check. They take
2: the meeting, but they don't they give the you money.
0: And early on, people say, you know... I only invest in products that I use myself.
2: Oh, oh cool. Okay, <laughs> yeah.
0: where we go from here? Yeah. You know where, So, Or they will be like, well, you're the expert. I actually have no idea. And they're like, but then listen to me as an expert. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't kind of, you know, it's sort of a superficial like, oh, it's your thing. I don't really know. Yeah. Or maybe they'll go talk to their wife, then they have a data point of on one. And yeah. I can sit there and be like, listen, here is documented 10,000 people who've said this. Yeah. No, but my wife said something else. Cool. <laughs> 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 you know? So you have to be an incredibly bridge builder. Mm-hmm. You have to lean in and somehow make my world connect to your world. Yeah. And for instance, I, would, I don't think I would ever use the word menstruation in my pitches. Not because I didn't want to, but I, I talked about data, I talked about the brand, I talked about the vision, I talked about the market, like, you know, something where we're like, do we resonate? Can like, we share some yeah. vibrations on that point? Because these other 10,000 things I know about what it is to so have this biology, yeah. you will have exactly zero resonance, Yeah, yet I think it's entirely possible for men to get there. And usually after an hour, they'll be like, oh, this is actually really interesting. I'm like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: And it's all connected, right? Like if, if you're a man, it happens to your, mm. either your, your wife or, or your partner or people at work or your mm. sister or your mom. Like it's everywhere, right? Totally. Like so, it's, so to say it's not you, it's actually really weird yeah. to see not that it's connected.
0: Yeah, there is a blindness there, which is really interesting.
2: But I can imagine like with these, these, um, yeah, you have to do these partnerships and you you talked a little bit about the partnerships, doing that with the science communities, but you also did like a, a partnership with L'Oreal, the, the largest beauty company in the world. Like how would I know there as a member, like that my data is safe or that's not for commercial gain?
0: Partnerships has been one of the things I don't think we've really cracked yet. We have had an astonishing amount of requests for partnerships through Clues History And we've tried out a few. It's been really hard to find brands where we're like, oh, this is like the brand we want to be next to. Or, yes, this is a really meaningful thing that we can put all our very sparse (laughs) resources into building. I mean, you know, often partners, they have a strategic game and then you're suddenly on their strategic roadmap. And you're like, hold on. But at the same time, I think where Femtech is going is that we are going to see consolidation. We're going to see people wanting to have more products grouped together so mm-hmm. that the data can flow more easily across, you know, my my running app and my period tracking app and my heart rate and my
2: sleep you, and maybe a
0: DNA test. Like
2: you worked with Apple, right? Like you partnered with Apple. Like was was that like to bring that those data sets together or like?
0: No, the Apple story is a different one. The Apple story was. That we were like, hey, you forgot menstruation, yeah, <laughs> and they
2: when they introduced the health yeah. app uh, in, in 2015, I think. and
0: then at some point they're like, oh man, we forgot, we forgot this. We should ask somebody who knows, <laughs> and they reached out and we helped them a little bit, but. Yeah, it's, it's a great example of how something can just be forgotten. If you don't live it, it's just easy to forget that it so exists.
2: So to refresh minds, <laughs> you had like the health app. Everyone was like praising it like, wow, this is the future of um, mm-hmm. Medicare, like uh, how, how, how medical care can work because you have all these data points and your smartwatch from Apple uh, can do this and all these things, but it couldn't simply just track a I'm period. I'm just laughing because yeah. it's
0: like you have like massive hormonal yeah. changes happening yeah. in your yeah. body every day yeah. as a woman. I mean, it's big stuff yeah. happening huge body shifts like even your vision changes. i mean all kind of thing happens yeah and um and it was just kind of forgotten that that's thing the thing that creates human on the planet was forgotten
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly <laughs> but, how are we all got here yeah.
0: yeah 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 everybody kind of came that way so but the world has moved on i think you know in some small ways
2: so where do you see Femtech in, in the next two, yeah, five years uh, and the, also with the, the huge developments that we see now with AI and also being much mm-hmm. more in the forefront of regular users?
0: When I started out, I had this vision that I would have something like a complete, like landscape. I could look over my health landscape. I could mm. see, like, oh, you know, out there on the horizon was these genetic dispositions that I got from my mother, mm-hmm. and here is that risk factor coming in there. And if I choose this path, I'm gonna go over these hills. Whereas mm. if I go this way, there's, you know, this barrier that I will meet. Like having a full understanding of my past, my present, my future in terms of health.
2: Almost like, like a sort of roadmap. Yeah, like road on map on your motorcycle, but now right you it's can your navigate. Own, yeah. You
0: can be like i'm not going to go over to these pointy mountains because that's not fun so let me do these things now so i don't get
2: rolling hills this looks nice
0: rolling hills california right so we are not right there we're not there yet obviously but we start having these bits of information that could puzzle together this picture Mm -hmm. um and that's why this data flow is so essential because all of these different apps and devices and products they generate data But as a user, they're still totally scattered, you know? You have to go
2: to different apps to track something or read something. Still, my
0: period tracking app doesn't really adjust for my training regime Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And it should. Like, that would be awesome. So I think these things will start happening where we kind of cluster these different user experiences together so that people can have this more full understanding of their body. Mm And their health. And then I think there's just lots of like practical questions we haven't really solved yet. I mean, I'm 43. Mm -hmm. I still don't have any clue of when I'm going to go into menopause. Is it going to be two years, 10 years? (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow yeah. i would
0: like to know <laughs> yeah. you know and there's it's like every kind of area of the female health experience you can think of related to reproductive health there's something you're like why haven't somebody invented this or why don't we have this or why is this still not working so there's just still many a lot of work to be done
2: yeah it's the irony that after 10 years of clue you still have no clue <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have I have a lot of a lot, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Just but not one. about oh, yeah. that little. I, think, that yeah, I keep saying to yeah. the team, like, isn't <laughs> <it> time? <tired?" Like, laughs>
2: Last question that I ask all my guests. Is there a design that you're most grateful for?
0: A well-designed text can make me very happy.
2: <laughs> how, um, how does a well-designed text look like?
0: So my, my big, big heroine and kind of role model I've had for so many years is Anna Isnin. Mm-hmm. And people only know her for... A few pieces of erotic writing that she did to make money. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> a dollar a page
0: yeah. is really not the main thing of her work. Not that they're not good, they're good. But she's a mystic and she's an incredible thinker mm-hmm. and she's an incredible pioneer and totally radical and wild. And I love her writing and I love the books that exist where she gave interviews and where she talked about her life philosophy. Mm-hmm. But right now I've just read A Four-Chambered Heart by her, Mm -hmm. which is this short novel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think it is incredibly well designed because she can see so deeply. She can, I don't know if you can talk about literature as designed, but if you can, I would say that's very elegant
2: okay now i think you can i think it's very intriguing and um everything that you mentioned also uh, her book we will put that in the gallery on memorable.design so you can see everything there you can look behind the scenes and you can find this not so thick book so maybe (laughs) lovely to read but then to uh, i'm I'm really curious now like i want to see how it looks like yeah i would just say
0: her biggest her biggest thing is her diaries the uncensored diaries they are definitely worth a read
2: Perfect, gonna do that right after this. Thank you so much.
4: (laughs) Thank you, it was a pleasure. Hi, I'm Brenna Foster, part of the team that works on Memberful Design. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Over the last few months, we've been gathering insights from you, our listeners, on what makes communities, memberships, and movements so powerful. Now, the results from that first survey are out. We learned a ton and loved all the membership examples you shared. From sports clubs to climate groups to parent-run schools. The most unexpected membership? Carbon-neutral diapers. For all the insights from our first listener survey, visit memberful.design articles. Now, our next community survey is out. We're excited to uncover what makes memberships valuable for the long term. Why do some communities tug at your heartstrings for decades? Why do some apps stick around on your home screen for years? Share your thoughts at memberful.design community. It takes just two minutes and it's completely anonymous. As always, we'll share takeaways on a future show. So keep listening and let's learn together. Many thanks from your Memberful Design team.